You are listening to Revolver Podcast. Want to grow your own weed but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazing with Bobby Black. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Blazin'. I'm your host, Bobby Black, and today we're going to talk a little about the art of glass blowing. This is a practice that's thousands of years old, and it's an ancient art form that's been embraced and uh, brought uh, into the modern era by stoner culture. They've taken it to new heights, opened it up to a wider audience, and introduced lots of uh, new and exciting techniques to the art over the past few decades, and my guest today is one of the most uh, talented, respected, and celebrated glass artists of our generation. Please welcome to the show, Darby Holm. What's up, Darby? How's it going, Bobby? It's going good. How are things out there in Oregon? Um, well, right now we have your, your classic Oregon weather. It's been raining for a few days, and we have about another seven to ten days of rain ahead of us, but... Other than that, it's been a good year. We got a good snowpack, and could hopefully have a nice cooler uh, spring and summer this year, which would uh, make it perfect for me to get busy in the glass shop. Cool. And you're from Oregon originally, right? Yeah, I was actually born and raised in Oregon. Southern Where? Oregon, even. I've, I've uh, driven, you know, traveled out a bit, but I've always came back to Oregon and just decided to keep it as my home base. Well, it's beautiful country up there. I know Oregon is actually a, a hub in the United States for glass blowing. It's you know one of the biggest scenes, if not the biggest scene. Uh, tell us a little about the glass blowing scene in Oregon and, and how it got started. Um, well, so you know, the, there's the uh, legendary Bob Snodgrass, who's located outside of uh, Eugene, Oregon, here, um, and he's definitely the man responsible for you know starting that hub, I guess, in Oregon. You know, it was just it was always the place where they would just get their work done. Um, 
they would go out and up any of the tours, you know, a lot of the bed lots, fish lots, you know, wherever, you know, wherever it was a, a good tour with a good amount of people. And then they'd come back to Oregon and get back to work again. And I think that just helped to, uh, you know, solidify the fact of the, you know, the working environment for glass blowing here in Oregon. Um, you know, combine that with, you know, just the kind of area it is here, you know, a lot of space, a lot of open area, a lot of, uh, free time on your hand if you don't have something to do. Um, and it just kind of made it, you know, perfect recipe to, you know, some people to get busy on the torch and really try and progress their game. Tell us a little about some of the um, different techniques and innovations that have come out over the years. I know that Dicro is the metallic flake that gives things its its sparkle. Um, there's there's so many cool uh, techniques that uh, uh, some of the listeners may not be familiar with. Yeah, the the whole technique game with uh, with glass blowing has been actually really fun to watch and be a part of. When I first started, you had fuming with a little bit of clear and then a little bit of color. You know, only you know a handful of colors. And so there would, that was what we would call the wrap and rake technique was very popular. Um, you just spin some colored glass or some clear glass on the piece and either use a little fuming or just some clear and run over it again. And it would just give you this like dragged color effect running down the piece. And that's, you know, really what brought this whole color changing glass to the, you know, to, to the situation it actually currently is. And from there, you know, it just started with, you know, adding more colors and, you know, people started wigwagging and reversing their, their pieces and coming up with different kind of, uh, I guess, uh, just different patterns, you know, to, to lay into, into the class. And geez, from there, it definitely went kind of over to clear for a little while, I guess. Um, and then back into the solid colors again. Um, it's just there's been, a you know, a, a definite pro- progression over the last 20 years that I've been doing this. Um, there's all kinds of like sandblasting, uh, I guess we'll call it cold working techniques, whether sandblasting, grinding, polishing, engraving. There's just so many other techniques now, even uh, like uh, electroform forming on the glass and getting the metal coating on it. There's so many different techniques, you know, at your disposal or at our disposal. Um, there's a lot of people, they just kind of focus on their one technique and really, really dial it in, which is, you know, now these days we're seeing this incredible you know, pieces of artwork, you know, and it's like mixed media and, you know, kind of everything in one, but it really all goes back to, you know, the evolution of techniques and patterns and, you know, how people are applying them and using them. You know, we're still dealing with the same kind of glass and the same kind of torches, you know, but it's just how people are using, you know, the the, the materials that they're, you know, just, that, you know, they have uh, access to. Right. Stumbling my words here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and is it is it safe to say that stoner culture or or cannabis enthusiasts, if if you will, were helping to pioneer a lot of these new techniques that maybe glass artists from the past hadn't used before? Um, I would say definitely the culture is, has like you know a huge part to all this. For years, you know, we've all been able to watch. You know, they, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, there's been moments where you know the, the herb culture gets beat down by the law a little bit and kind of retracts a little bit. And the glass culture kind of was able to step up a little and keep, you know, things alive and going. And then, like, right now we're seeing this huge, huge flux with, you know, everybody, all the different states going legal and just all of the, the, you know, laws changing almost weekly, you know, somewhere throughout the country. And now the, you know, the donor culture is just getting, you know, amazingly huge, which is a really, really good thing for that scene. And as well as for our scene also, you know, gets, gets more people involved. 
and you know it's a cool little niche you know that people can find and you know exploit for themselves but it's definitely you know goes hand in hand and you know without you know without the one culture we wouldn't we wouldn't even have you know the glass blowing culture right now the way it is it would definitely still be very small and more more towards the uh just the art and the things for displaying in people's homes which is funny because that's what people are doing with their super <laughs> high-end pipes now. <laughs> sure, I mean... So and just to, you know, watch that, you know, come full circle is just, you know, it's, it's an awesome thing. Yeah, and I don't think anyone in their right mind could deny that what the community is producing is art, but the fact that it is smokable art, uh, I guess maybe puts some people off. And, uh, I think even some of the glass blowers themselves have, have over the years tried to distance themselves from cannabis a little bit. And maybe, I mean, is that just because of the legal ramifications you think? Cause I know that, you know, there was this whole, uh, time period where you couldn't say the word bong and, and if, if it's associated with drug use, it's, it's considered paraphernalia. Whereas if you don't, it's considered art. And uh, I'm guessing that that's probably the main reason why there was that distance. Um, yeah, I'd say you're, you're, you're very correct with that. Um, you know, you just have other artists in other states where it's definitely not, you know, a cool thing to do. And, you know, they have the families and their, you know, it's, it's their, their main livelihood. So they try to get real protective over their, I guess, their identity and who they really are and what they're really doing and where they're doing it, which that alone is kind of a sad thing because, you know, the worst thing to do in this world is to, uh, you know, hold back someone's uh, potential creativity, you know, and it's always good just to let it, you know, let it bloom and, you know, flourish and see what becomes of it. So, you know, to, to see people, you know, shying away from certain things in this industry because of, you know, laws and whatnot, is, you know, it's, it's definitely a sad thing, but it also brings, the, you know, the people that are, you know, truly passionate about it, you know, it brings them to the surface a little bit more as well. And they will do what they got to do to be able to do, you know, their art, you know, what they're doing. Yeah. The big scare, obviously, in the glass industry was when the government launched Operation Pipe Dreams back in the was it the early two thousands, I think, uh, and went after a bunch of uh, paraphernalia and glass uh, artists and stuff, and it put a scare in a lot of people. Did you know anyone uh, personally who was uh, affected by by that operation? Or oh yeah, most definitely. I mean, I was you know being an Oregon native, you know, I was friends with uh, the guys from JBD. I had a distributor I was dealing with that he, you know, he definitely got in trouble himself. You know, there's, you know, the guys from 101 North, you know, so it was, it was definitely a scary time. You know, I spent, I spent a good month of my life waking up at six o'clock every morning, looking out the window, huh. you know, at first light just to see if they were out there and coming to get me or not. Ultimately, you know, I, I had to, you know, I, I was able to feel more comfortable about my own situation, understanding why they got in trouble and, you know, just, you know, the, just where those laws were crossed. You know, and I, I personally was, you know, I was selling to an adult and I was not selling it over state lines. And, you know, I was doing everything proper on my end. You know, I wasn't advertising it to be used for herb, which is, you know, half the reason half these guys got in trouble, which is, you know, a bummer. Sure. Um, but, you know, so, was, you, know, I, you know, after a while, you know, I was able to get a little bit more comfortable with my own situation and kind of come out of my box again and realize that it wasn't about getting people in trouble for creating artwork. You know, it was more so focused on, you know, people that were breaking the whatever the laws that they had it, you know, in place at the time, which, you know, how they did it. You know, I don't know if I mean, but, you know, it, it wasn't the proper way, but hey, that was their thing, you know, it was their laws and they enforced them in their ways, but we suffered. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty absurd when you think that. 
guns are so widely available everywhere in the country and you can get one with hardly any effort things that like kill people but here you are people creating beautiful pieces of art and just because there's a hole on one end and a hole on the other that it's somehow some dangerous thing that needs to be suppressed and people need to be thrown in jail it's pretty ridiculous and yeah most definitely and you know when you when you bring up the gun thing it is real similar because Smith and Wesson's not going to get in trouble or sued because someone shoots someone with one of their guns. And we all know that the guns can kill people. Now, you turn it around to the pipe situation, and it's like, okay, well, if you say it's for tobacco use, which, well, well that can kill you too, um, that's okay. But if you turn around and you say, oh, this is for your herbs, you're in trouble. You know, you can't do that. You can't go down that route. And, you know, I mean, granted, this is all, you know, 10, almost 15 years ago. But still. It's just that, 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 uh, the idea and that, that concept is just kind of, you know, it baffles me and baffles a lot of people. And that's for, that's for damn sure. Yeah. Especially when you start comparing it to the, you know, you know, other, just other things out there in this world that, that are dangerous, even cars. You know, nobody's going to go sue Ford because they got drunk and got behind the wheel and crashed into someone. Yeah. And it's it's even also more absurd too is not just the artists making the products, but I mean I have a friend on the East Coast who actually got arrested for his glass collection. I'm you know here you got a a guy with a bunch of like thousand dollar pieces in a display case in his home, you know, and yeah. it's some kind of danger to society or something. It's it's absurd. I mean, stoners, they've really embraced uh, glass. I mean, obviously, you can smoke out of almost anything. You don't need a $10,000 piece to smoke your weed out of, but they've embraced glass as something that they collect it and they love their glass pieces so much. Um, and I imagine that the people who create this art have pretty impressive collections of their own. I'm sure you have. Yeah, most definitely. And it, and it really is. It's like, a, you know, each, each different style of piece, or I guess if you could, if you followed one artist over the last 20 years and just watched the progression of their work and you had those pieces in a collection, you know, you really would see, you know, how the times change. And, and on that note, like, it's just the most awesome thing to, to be able to collect. And, it, you know, you can look back and you can understand, like, wow, you know, this thing was made when people weren't even able to have a bong, you know, let alone a pipe or anything else. And then now, look what they're making now. Oh, it started crossing the line into the oil. Okay, now, also for a while there, it was like, oh, oil's like this big no-no. and But you're making these oil pieces. And, you know, that's just another sign of the progression of the time zone. And it's like, you know, throughout history, you know, artwork is always coincided with what's going down on you know at the time you know it might not be that important for some people you know while it's happening but you get down the road and look back a few years and you start going wow you know that was really intense you know they just didn't even you know they didn't even look back they just went forward and just kept doing what they've got to do to be able to create these you know images you know that are in their heads and just you know get it into a, a, a three-dimensional piece of glass and you know then that can you know also be part of your collection and you can hold on to it, and you can, you know, remember whether it was a dead show you went to or it was a NASCAR event. You know, I mean, it's <laughs> everywhere. There's no, you know, there's no avoiding it nowadays. And it, it, it really does go, you know, perfect in the collection because, you know, just like, you know, like, uh, like, like I guess like the China collections that people, you know, were so popular in people's houses back in the day. Uh, yeah. You know, the fine China represented, you know, their, their time with the families or their friends, you know, it's it all memories tied up together, you know. But it really is the same thing, you know, but it's been a huge culture and it's growing so rapidly. And it's like, it's, 
No, I, I really, I really think that the glass thing. You know, of course, I'm partial to the glass blower, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really do think it is a big part of it all. You know, and it's, it, it just really represents the individual person as well as what they're collecting and how they're collecting it and why they're collecting. Right on. Well, I'm going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to get really into and talk more about the actual art and practice of glass blowing. Stay tuned. Want to grow your own weed, but not sure where to get the seed? Go to bcbuddepot.com. For nearly 15 years, BC Bud Depot has been building one of the world's most comprehensive seed banks, offering over 50 strains of top quality cannabis to suit every grower's needs, including multiple award-winning strains like Godbud, The Perps, BC Blueberry, Girl Scout Cookies, and more. In fact, BC Bud Depot's genetics have won over 30 different cannabis awards over the past decade. So you know you're dealing with a recognized industry leader that will deliver you some of the most potent, flavorful flowers on the planet. They ship worldwide, offering fast, discreet delivery at reasonable prices. All online orders are processed within 48 hours and are packaged and mailed with the utmost stealth and safety in mind. And if for some reason your order gets lost, damaged, or confiscated, BC Bud Depot will resend it at no extra charge guaranteeing that every customer receives what they paid for. Whether you're looking for indica or sativa, indoor or outdoor, feminized or auto-flowering, BC Bud Depot has the seeds you need at a price you can handle. But don't take my word for it. Check out their extensive library of award-winning genetics for yourself at bcbuddepot.com and type in promo code BLAZIN420 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. BC Bud Depot home of cannabis champions since 2002. Please check your local state and national laws before ordering. All right, and we are back with Darby Home, glass blower extraordinaire, and uh, we were talking about the art of glass blowing and and how people like to collect them. Um you're known uh, a lot of your pieces. Well, let's 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 go back and start at the beginning. Um how did you first get involved in glass blowing personally? Oh wow, okay. So my my uh, little story is uh my younger brother, Karsten Carlisle, had started working for a guy named August Weinstein, and he worked in the little uh, garage behind his parents' uh, acupuncture business in downtown Eugene. Me and Carson's mom was working for the same acupuncture clinic. And so, you know, my brother was, I think he was like maybe 19 at the time. Um, he was like just drawn in, you know, right off the bat, like, wow, what is going on back there? You know, let me get in there and check it out. You know, the guy offered him, you know, an opportunity to try his hand at it. And, you know, that got him into it. About six, seven months into it, I, I had moved to Eugene. So I was there hanging out with him, kind of crashed out on the couch. And uh, it was a really full shop. It was a really small shop. And it was like, you know, one school desk. And there was like three stations on it. And there were six different people working in there at the time. So it was like this kind of crazy little scene across the street of the apartment where everybody was trying to rotate in and out to get a little bit of, uh, you know, torch time. And there really wasn't a space or an opportunity for me to get in on it. And so whatever, you know, one thing led to another. And me and my brother ended up kind of moving out in the woods and, you know, found our place, ourselves a place out in southern Oregon where we could, you know, just get away from everybody and, you know, the city in general and have that time to just focus and, you know, figure out the, the glass thing. And we had a, another friend of ours, Gilbert, that uh, he stepped in as well. And so it was the three of us, you know, in our little garage way the heck out in Selma, Oregon, and just kind of went to town at it. 
and that's it just kind of all escalated from there, you know, bouncing ideas off each other, you know, hitting the road whenever we could to go out and try and, you know, find another store or a festival or just, a, you know, anything going on to show off what we're doing. And it just kept, you know, kept going from there. Cool. Well, Evolving what, to where we're at now. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what qualities would you say it takes to for a person to be a good glass blower? Well, when I, when I first started, it was definitely different, you know, because there was uh, a lot to still be learned. So I think current times, you know, you, you of course the main thing you got to be able to sit down and concentrate. If you can't sit down and just really focus and concentrate on something, you probably gonna have a hard time figuring this out. <laughs> um, above and beyond that, it's like you can, you know, I know people that can't even draw with a pencil and paper. They just have a hard time making mistakes for you. But they can, you know, they can just sculpt like the, the most amazing like faces in glass that they could never try and paint, draw, or anything else. So, it's, you know, it really just takes a vision, you know, a little bit of ability to see, you know, through the surface of the heat and, you know, know how you're going to manipulate the glass to get the desired effect you're looking for. You got guys out there doing all just cold working. They don't even blow the glass at all. They, you know, they'll partner up with someone and say, "Hey, you know, I need this, these kind of vessels or solid object, whatever it is, or you know, they want to see made, and they can take that and turn it into something totally different out of glass." So I, I think nowadays it's like the main thing is just that that focus and you know dedication to to really push through and you know achieve what you want to achieve rather than let it get away from you and get the best of you. And how long would you say it takes to finish uh, a piece? And how do you know when it's finished? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, like if you know, of course, if you're if you're with someone who's getting a custom piece made, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be your best, uh, you know, idea of when it's done because they can, you know, they'll see it like, oh, it's perfect. You know, um, when you're just trying to make something off the top of your head, you know, if it's not drawn out and you don't have like a really, you know, like like hard set design you're trying to go for, you, you can kind of just let it go and, you know, keep working on it or tweaking it or sometimes even removing things until you get that, that look you're looking for. You know, sometimes you need more stuff on the piece. Sometimes, you know, more is too much and you want less stuff on the piece. But really, it's, you know, in the eye of the beholder, you know, to say, you know, if it's done, I mean, I, I guess this is once you get above and beyond, you know, all your basics. You know, you got your mouthpiece, your carb, your, you know, your chamber, you know, how's it going to function? You know, once you get all that dialed, you know, it's just all in the eye of the beholder after that. And when you're doing your pieces uh, specifically, how much of it tends to be preconceived and how much of it tends to be that spontaneous process? Wow, I'd say that it's probably like a 50-50. Sometimes if, I'm, if I just kind of have a, like a real, like a, you know, fuzzy idea of what I'm trying to start with, I'll let the piece take me where it wants to go sometimes. And... You know, you'll get a you'll get a certain bend or a curve in the piece or a stretch, and it'll just you know it'll it'll trigger something else in my head. So I'm like, oh, okay, maybe this wants to be like this now. And then the other half of the time, I can I'll draw that thing out and I'll use measurements and I'll really try and get it to spec. And when I'm you know when I'm going down that road, I'm you know really you know stick to that the plan. You know, stick to my my drawing and and my part's got to be the right size, the right length, and you know got to be put in the right place or it kind of starts messing it all up. So, you know, it's probably like a 50-50 thing, I'd say, with me at least. Cool. Is there a specific piece that comes to mind as one that was possibly your most challenging one or one that you would say you're most proud of? Jeez, um, there's so many. Um, it could be more than one, but just any that specifically stand up. Like everything I ever made was stuck. 
you know, like, like we always just like had really, really easy time working together and we were able to kind of just go with an idea and run with it and to see where it took us as opposed to, you know, getting like, you know, super like, you know, adamant about like this piece has to be right there and this part has to be over there. You know, we just kind of go with the flow and I, you know, I mean, realistically, like all my, all my collabs I've done because it goes above and beyond just making the piece, you know, it's like a, time to get to know someone and get to hang out and, and those like those ones always stand out in my mind a lot more of course uh, it's a tough one you know i have i have a piece right now that's like a, a caged dragonfly piece that i don't really even bring it out and try and offer it up anymore me and my wife both really like the piece you know i've had it for like four years but it's not necessarily you know, i haven't claimed it as my own i just don't show it off <laughs> <laughs> that way i can hold on to it longer you know <laughs> yeah yeah, you mentioned your, you know, collaboration that you're a frequent collaborator with Buck. Um, I one piece that stands out in my mind is the uh, chess set that you guys did for the Hitman chess pieces uh, collection. That was a kind of an insect themed chess set, and I thought that was of all the amazing sets that were done for Dougie's book. I thought that your guys' one was well one of the top for sure. Like, just really stood out. And that that actually that set's a perfect example of what I was talking about with you know just letting things go where they want to go. Um, of course, we sat out and we looked at a you know regular size chessboard. We're like, all right, we got to make a you know a chess set and we're gonna sit it on this thing. And then we saw we were just like, you know what? Let's just kind of let it go a little bit and let's make a couple pieces that we think would be you know cool to have within a set. And once we made our first couple pieces, we were like okay, we need this humongous chess set, you know, it's like the size of a kitchen table now. And <laughs> we just kind of kept running with it, you know, and just the way, you know, the way it turned out, you know, I was, I'm actually looking at a picture of it right now as we speak. <laughs> yeah, that, you know, and that was like a perfect example of like how, you know, both of us were able to just like kind of throw our ideas in there and let them blend together. And, you know, it just we just started picking up going, okay, cool. Now it's looking like a set. Ooh, these guys look like pawns and, you know, this, this is definitely a queen, you know, a big old butterfly. And, you know, just each thing really, like, spoke to us. And we were able to, like, you know, place them where they needed to be. And, you know, that was definitely a fun set to do, for sure. Yeah. And so uh, collaborations or collabs, as, you know, they're called, uh, are very, very frequent in the glass scene, and particularly in the in the cannabis glass scene. I don't know about other glass artists, but uh, talk a little about the collab process. Like, and I'm sure that varies, obviously, from person to person. But is it typically does one person start a piece and or one person does one part of it and another or like, how does the how does the flow, the workflow tend to go back and forth? Well, that's actually really interesting because there's, you know, a lot of different people are approaching it a lot of different ways. It used to be, you know, back in the day, you know, people weren't really working together too much. And when they did, it was kind of like, oh, well, I'm just going to help you achieve your idea. And just cool, you know, that's your piece. You know, nowadays it's a lot more of, hey, let's, you know, let's make a collab and let's bring out, all, you know, our, our highlight, our strong points and our highlights of what we already do in our own work. Let's bring them together and, you know, try and mesh it together in one cool piece, which is, you know, a lot funner. There's still yeah. other people that, you know, I mean, they're just, there's just different approaches. Some people are really into this mail order collab, which I see a lot of people doing now, which is the only way to really, you know, kind of connect sometimes. You know, it's hard for me in Oregon to get over to, you know, dude in New York and, you know, do a collab. You know, I got a family of five and, you know, my shop's run and all this stuff. And it's, you know, kind of hard to break away sometimes. So you start getting this mail order collab thing, which, can be cool, but it takes out that that uh, 
you know, the aspect of working together, you know, and letting those ideas like kind of just take their own shape. So when you're, you know, mail order collaborating, you definitely have to know what you're making and why you got these parts in the mail and what you're going to do with them and whether you're going to finish it or you're going to wrap it back up when you're done with your parts to send it back to the original person. You know, it definitely gets, uh, it can, it can get a little tricky like that for sure. Yeah. Um, I always prefer to, you know, be face to face and, or I guess torch to torch, I might say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, be able to be right there for the experience. And, you know, it's, it's more of a, you know, friendship bonding experience as well as, uh, you know, learning, you're learning someone else's, you know, work habits. You're learning how they are as a person. You're learning what you can do and how your, you know, work might influence someone else and how your parts and pieces and prep work might integrate with someone else's parts and prep, you know, pieces. Yeah. You mentioned your family recent, uh, when we were just speaking, and uh, I heard that your son is actually getting into glass blowing too now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, actually, I've, I've got three sons. Uh, my oldest is Sherlock Holmes, is what he goes by. And he, uh, <laughs> he's, he's been working for a couple of years now full time with me. Um, definitely, you know, kind of, I guess I'd say he was playing around, but, you know, in all reality, he was, you know, slowly learning for, you know, quite a few years before that. So, you know, it was kind of, it was, you know, on that note, it was a little easier for him to jump right into it as a full-time job, you know, because he already had, you know, a little skill set underneath his wings, you know. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely, you know, he loves it. He's building a great little name for himself, a great little body of work. And then my youngest son, Isaiah, is also, uh, you know, he does a lot of pendants. Um, and he's been having great success with that. He has a good time. He enjoys making them. You know, he's got a good idea, a good eye for his colors and shapes and whatnot. Um, my wife, Leela, she gets on the torch as well, and, you know, she has a few little wow. items that she makes. She so, just doesn't uh, show them off very often. So it's a family <laughs> affair. <laughs> yes, definitely. And then my and then my third son, he's, he's awesome with the video camera and with the, you know, still photography. You know, I don't know if, if you're familiar with my, like, my Instagram site every once in a while, I'll post up some pictures that he's taken or, or links to him or whatever. So, so, you know, it's cool. We can we are, you know, definitely a family that's all in it together, I guess you would say. That's very cool. And that's also coming from, you know, learning from my younger brother. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely keeping it in the family. Very cool. You uh you have some like uh trademark themes that tend to come up in your work. Cactus, cacti I should say, seem to appear quite frequently in your work. Uh obviously ray guns you're very known for. What draws you to these particular uh, themes? The, the cacti is actually kind of a funny one because you're, you know, the, the majority of the population assumes I'm from Arizona <laughs> because I make those specific cactus. <laughs> um, I've always been from Oregon and I've always made them here in Oregon. But it's what brought those out is my traveling. You know, I've always been, you know, just a traveling fool ever since I was 18 years old and couldn't get out and go do my own thing. Been through Arizona a lot, spent a lot of time just being there and going through there and you know when i take my trips i'm always driving you know I, I hardly ever fly so when i'm driving around i get out in the middle of nowhere i really like to just stop and kind of hang out for a minute take a break eat a sandwich burn a bowl whatever it is i'm going to do and just you know you spend this time you know this time with these things you know this big old cactus just kind of staring at them like man it's just this big old perfect gnarly thing and then one day i was like looking at it i was like oh wow, it looks like a little sherlock pipe <laughs> you know, I saw this one that had this shape to it. It was just right. And when I got back home from that red trip, I was like, let me try and make one. And so that's, you know, it started all my little cactus. And they were just these teeny little Sherlock dry pipes. And then Ooh. they eventually evolved into a bubbler. And 
you know, now it's, you know, it's all about the oil rigs and, you know, it just each, you know, each time I would evolve it to the next style of the piece kind of, it would just fit right, you know, and I was able to adapt it somehow. And then I was able to combine that with my, uh, you know, micro skills, I guess you could say, um, came up with a good color pattern to use behind it. And, you know, it happened to work good with flowers as well, you know, but like the stocks for flowers. And I just kind of kept running with that with the cactus. The ray guns, they definitely kind of come, I guess, you know, that childhood, whatever, Marvin the Martian kind of, you know, like, back to the future, <laughs> not back to the future, but like, uh, you know, Buck Rogers, you know, Star Trek, you know, just yeah. a weird kind of gadgetry, you know, and that's why I really like the, the ray guns, because I can just get more, like, futuristic and, you know, like, it just comes out of my head, you know, it doesn't have to fit into a certain category, and it's not, you know, it's not a Colt 45, you know, it doesn't have to look just like that. Yeah. Which that's a little bit more recent times, I guess, where you know some of the guns I've done is you know actually more mimic a gun and make it look just like that gun, yeah. just a little bit of you know a little tweaking with the the appearance, I guess, with the colors and whatnot. You've done so many uh, gorgeous high end pieces. I'm curious, do you know what is the most expensive piece you've ever done? Um, jeez, like for me personally, I guess it would be I guess there's three of them out, and it's, it's the two collabs I did with Robert Nicholson. Um, which were both full-size rifles, and then the, uh, I guess, the chandelier that I made with uh, Banjo, Clinton, and Scott Deppy at the, uh, what was that, the OGS flame-off, and uh, it was uh, like a, a three-headed chandelier, so I had three skulls on the bottom, and then each each skull was supported by like a, a, like a rib cage that came up into the center part, which was a bunch of femur bones kind of strapped together, and then uh, it was like tail bones going around the outside to kind of, you know, hold them all in together. Super wicked piece. Cool. It sounds badass. I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't a it wasn't a smokable chandelier. <laughs> no, the chandelier was the only one that wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, we're just about out of time. But before we go, if people are interested in checking out your work or buying one of your pieces, where could they find you online? What's your uh, social media handles? Best thing lately is just been on Instagram, which is uh, was at Darby Home Glass, and I should have a website up again soon. Um, we kind of started one and lost traction with it a little bit. I'm definitely trying to get back up to par on that and, you know, get that up and going. But if you if you look on my Instagram, that'll direct you over to another Instagram page for any, you know, questions for sales or anything. Cool, man. Well, uh, you know, I've always been a huge fan, and uh, hopefully one day I'll have enough uh, money to buy one of your great pieces. But uh, in, but uh, appreciated. <laughs> but uh, I just want to say thanks so much for taking time to talk with us, man. Uh, it's been great having you on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, man. Uh, you too. All right, and we're going to have some photos of some of Darby's coolest pieces and links to some of his stuff on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash blazingwithbb. Be sure to give us a like and leave us some feedback. Also, you can follow me on social media at Bobby Black on Twitter, at BobbyBlack420 on Facebook and Instagram. And that's going to wrap it up for this week. Be sure to tune in again next week when our guest will be former editor-in-chief of High Times Magazine, Mr. Steve Hager. Until then, this is Bobby Black saying, blaze on, brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm.